For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson with another readout video from our free Wednesday wake-up email newsletter, and here we go again. Uh, no, not with me passing the hat, though now I come to think of it, please do donate. With another warm welcome to our new subscribers, our existing subscribers, thanks to our existing donors, and to those people buying our merch. And with yet another hurricane scare. Last week it was Hillary in California, this week Adalia in Florida, and once again we were meant to regard it as the fourth seal of the apocalypse, or maybe the sixth. Under the fairly sober headline, Adalia expected to hit Florida as major Category 3 hurricane, NBC prophesied that, quote, the storm could bring life-threatening storm surge, hurricane-force winds and flooding along parts of the west coast of Florida and the Florida Panhandle as early as Tuesday, forecasters warned, end quote. Yeah, could, but didn't. Adalia reached Category 3 strength and then, well, petered out, as did the coverage, though reluctantly. Heatmap Daily was all for Adalia as major disaster. Quote, Some 20 million Americans woke up on Monday to the news that they have just one full day to prepare for Tropical Storm Adalia, which is expected to strengthen into the first major U.S. hurricane of the season this week, end quote. So, surely the big news was not that a hurricane was coming, but that it was the first one to hit the U.S. this year. And the article tried to hedge its bets on that point with, quote, Though climate change caused by human activities doesn't increase the frequency of hurricanes, warmer oceans mean the ones that form tend to be more intense, slow, and destructive, end quote. So, are they getting more common, or aren't they? Well, to coin a phrase, it seems to depend which way the wind is currently blowing. And it was howling in NBC studios with, quote, Adelia strengthens to a hurricane as Florida braces for potentially life-threatening storm surge, end quote. And then the New York Times, along with a helpful How to Track a Hurricane feature that Heat Map might want to read, quoted the mayor of Cedar Key, Florida, that, quote, This storm is worse than we've ever seen. My family has been here for many generations. We haven't seen a storm this bad ever, end quote. And, yes, that might happen to be true of Cedar Key in particular, but in terms of Florida generally, it's bunk. As Wikipedia says, quote, The list of Florida hurricanes encompasses approximately 500 tropical or subtropical cyclones that affected the state of Florida. More storms hit Florida than any other U.S. state, and since 1851, only 18 hurricane seasons passed without a known storm impacting the state. Collectively, cyclones that hit the region have resulted in over 10,000 deaths, most of which occurred prior to the start of Hurricane Hunter flights in 1943, end quote. And oddly, that item adds, quote, the strongest tropical cyclone to make landfall on the state was the 1935 Labor Day hurricane, which crossed the Florida Keys with a pressure of 892 mbar. And it adds, it's also the strongest hurricane on record to strike the United States, end quote. In 1935? What's going on? It's almost as if Florida always had some mighty bad weather, but there's been nothing out of the scarily ordinary recently. Knowing such things, unfortunately, requires having Google on your computer, which journalists seem not to in this era of cutbacks, or just possibly of climate zealotry, where they forgot to check. Ultimately, the apocalypse was down to, quote, watch as cameras captured the moment strong winds damaged a billboard, end quote. Oh, the inanity. Still, if there are hurricanes anywhere, they're our fault, right? Just as if there's drought anywhere, it's appalling and it's our fault. And if there's rain anywhere, it's appalling and it's our fault. So, heat map lets us in on the latest, quote, Vermont reveals the new dangers of summer rain, end quote. And those would be what? That things get wet in the summer? 
No, see, quote, climate change is supercharging the risks from your typical unnamed rainstorm, end quote. So, not something bad enough to get a name, and something typical, as in rain. Specifically, some rain in Vermont in July, quote, the sort of no-name summer storm that has long been a feature of the region, but is now intensifying due to rising temperatures, end quote. Oh, really? Do you have data showing more rain? Not just in very cherry-picked locales, but as a sustained trend over large parts of the globe? Because if you do, you should share it with the IPCC, which doesn't see anything of the sort despite being paid to see it. And if, like Tony Heller, you spent a bit of time in the archives, you'd also find all kinds of stories of extreme weather as far back as there were newspapers. And now, I'm going to interrupt myself briefly to ask you please to help support our work. Because here at the Climate Discussion Nexus, we don't get lavish government grants, we don't get big foundation money, and contrary to what our critics say, we're not in the pocket of the Koch brothers. We're dependent on our viewers and our readers to make a pledge, one time or monthly, big or small, just click here, a cup of coffee a month, that's what it takes to help us keep producing these videos and our newsletter and pushing back against the climate alarmist steamroller. And now, back to me. In the newsletter, we also bring you from the If a Tree Were Planted in the Forest Would Anyone Hear It file, Paul Wells complaining that Canadian journalists credulously repeated Canadian Natural Resources Minister Jonathan Wilkinson's tweet that the hapless federal $2 billion tree program had suddenly gone from being way behind its targets to way ahead by suddenly starting to count trees planted by other programs. Being politicians, Wilkinson and his colleagues lack practical skills like planting trees, but they sure know how to plant stories. And apparently journalists don't know how to be skeptical about politicians' claims anymore, at least not when they're on the progressive side. And another thing, remember how extreme heat was ruining summer vacations, Britain was scorching and all that? Including the self-parody and quote, Britain set to be warmer than Barcelona with 28C heat blast, end quote. Well, Apparently, neither does Simon Jenkins in the far-left climate-panicked Guardian, because he wrote instead, quote, If you had booked an August holiday in Britain 10 days ago, then heard the weather forecast, you probably would have taken the first train to Gatwick. The forecast for the following week was awful for storms, clouds, rain, and unseasonably cold weather. In other words, another typical August, end quote. And he added that while he actually saw the sun while on the Welsh coast, quote, it certainly was not hot, end quote. How strange. Doesn't he read the newspapers? Also, remember how we deniers have all the money? Well, neither do we. And the Friends of Science have published a list of the tens of millions of dollars that Canadian climate alarmist groups get from foreign foundations, while a smattering of donations to the Freedom Convoy from abroad had official Ottawa panicking and seizing citizens' bank accounts. And more from the retreat into verbose fantasy file. Reuters' sustainable switch misinforms its readers that, quote, the countdown to Africa Climate Week, set to expand its transformative agenda next week, has begun, end quote. And this transformative agenda apparently involves more pointless bickering over how to distribute large sums of money that the West won't even be forking over. Also, the Daily Telegraph thunders that, quote, Prosecco producers in Italy say they are facing one of their worst harvests in decades as a result of months of wild weather and a lack of laborers to pick the grapes. The unstable weather, which meteorologists blame on climate change, end quote, included that famous product of runaway heating, ice falling from the sky. And since no farmer ever saw hail before, look out.
In the newsletter, we also draw your attention to a weird kerfuffle over a paper proposing to psychoanalyze climate skeptics as dangerous lunatics that appeared, was then retracted, and then mutated and was republished with the usual safety and numbers crowd of authors, this time 14 of them, including, yes, Michael Mann, and bearing the can't-make-this-stuff-up title, quote, Internet Blogs, Polar Bears, and Climate Change Denial by Proxy, end quote. This paper made the twisted claim that, quote, by denying the impacts of anthropogenic global warming, AGW, on polar bears, bloggers aim to cast doubt on other established ecological consequences of AGW, aggravating the consensus gap, end quote. So, the authors don't dispute that Ursus Maritimus seems to be doing just fine since their numbers are growing, despite their having been the poster creature for climate change-driven extinction for many years. They just say, scientists should all claim it's not happening, lest the truth so doubt about all the other alarmist babble. And this just in, quote, Why do floods follow drought? Scientists show climate change is fueling more sudden shifts, end quote which is problematic given that if there's a drought, alarmists say climate change caused it, and if there's a flood, alarmists say climate change caused it, and if there are both, or neither, they say climate change caused it. And also because they often fail to check those boring historical records to see whether a place has typically been prone to floods, droughts, or both. But now, scientists show, so it's all over. Or is it? Well, no. Because they basically took a very short time period, cherry-picked a place, and then yelled about a trend. The change itself was trivial that they found, from a 0.25% chance to a 1% chance. And the data only covered 1980 to 2020, whereas real science, as increasingly opposed to climate science, tests hypotheses against robust evidence and deliberately looks for counterexamples before popping the corks, or, in this case, tolling the funeral bell. And speaking of funerals, that perennial alarmist favourite, the end of Antarctica as we know it, is back. As in, quote, UK homes could be at risk of flooding if Antarctica becomes global radiator and ice melts, end quote, complete with irresistible images of those adorable penguins being brutally climate changed. No, not penguins! Scientific American sobs, literally in their email teaser, that, quote, penguin chicks are dying off as Antarctic sea ice disappears, Record low sea ice caused emperor penguin chicks to die across Antarctica last year. This year could be just as bad, end quote. And notice how it's never a slug. It's always something cute. But as for that vanishing ice, we have to ask where it went. And no, not the ice, which would have turned into water and drowned us all. The vanishing. As this chart from climateforyou.com shows, with the usual natural fluctuations that modern environmentalists just can't seem to get their heads around, the extent of both Arctic and Antarctic sea ice since 1988 has been amazingly stable. And if the bottom of the cycle last summer was a record, it was only by a tiny amount. What's more, and worse, scientific alarmism has two scientists who say, saying, quote, they expected to see emperor penguins suffer as sea ice disappeared, but that ice loss, and its consequences for penguins, has accumulated faster than predicted, end quote. So much for settled science, right? And so much for data, because as Jim Steele noted irritably, there were, quote, no observed dead chicks ever counted, end quote. Instead, a set of guesses about the ratio of non-breeding penguins to breeding penguins, the location of breeding sites, and the meaning of excrement stains on the pristine Antarctic snow led clickbait media to a feeding frenzy, 
in which, among other things, nobody seems to have remembered their high school biology lesson about those boom and bust cycles in populations. Even scientific communism, after quoting a British Antarctic survey geographer that, quote, that's totally unprecedented, we've never seen that before, end quote, without admitting that they hadn't seen it now either, does admit that the same scientist says, quote, if you went back maybe 15 years, emperor penguins were one of the least known species in Antarctica. It's almost impossible to get to most of their breeding colonies. We didn't know how many there were or where they were, end quote. And you still don't, in fact. To quote Steele again, or rather Steele quoting a 2023 paper, Remote Sensing of Emperor Penguin Abundance and Breeding Success, by a penguin researcher with the fortuitous name of Winter, quote, Of the 61 currently known emperor penguin breeding colonies, ground truth population counts conducted during the winter at regular, frequent intervals are only available for two colonies, at Point Géologie in Adélie-Land and Atka Bay in droning Maudland, end quote. So, they just made the rest of it up. In the newsletter, we also continue our look at the paper on extreme weather trends that was retracted because its facts were correct and its implications uncomfortable, including that the authors present evidence of a gradual increase in total precipitation worldwide since 1900. But as to whether it translated into an increase in extreme rainfall events, the answer is, it depends where you look. In most regions around the world, some monitoring stations show an increase, some show a decrease, and most show no change. Which will never do since everybody knows, or is told to know, that climate change is increasing rainfall and flooding, or droughts, or whatever. As to what it will all do to us, we continue reviewing Bjorn Lomberg's detailed examination of likely trends over the 21st century and the question of po whether policies like the Paris Accord targets will make us better off or not. And this week, it was the projected impact of extreme events like floods, wildfires, and hurricanes. Or rather, the projected impact of people being too stupid to adapt to slow-moving changes in these phenomena. Because once we take into account of how people adapt, especially when they're wealthy enough to adapt because ill-advised climate policies haven't trashed their economies, the impacts become predictably small. Finally, from the CO2Science.org archive, we bring you floods in the Namib Desert which you might think wouldn't have any because it's a desert, but it has had them, including during the little ice age that alarmists say didn't happen, rather than in the warming periods when they say there should be more flooding. For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and I don't think much of science that gets its predictions wrong all the time, even when it also gets to make up its data. <laughs>